Discovery, go at throttle up. Discovery 4 computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. Transmission coming in from the Starfleet Escape Podcast. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode 105 and is being recorded on January 24th, 2020. Today's topic, Spectral Scans, Star Trek Picard, Season 1, Episode 1. Spoiler alert. This podcast contains spoilers for the Star Trek Picard episode, Remembrance. You have been warned. I'm Aaron Gallo. I'm Eric Berry. And I'm Eric Dewey. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover Designs and Illustrations. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, Aaron. How are you? Salutations. I'm splendid. A new era in Star Trek is upon us. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) Ah. Back into the 24th century, late 24th century. Soon to be 25th. Yeah, it's exciting times. All three of us just watched it yesterday. Just came out. How many times did you guys watch it? Uh, two times. Only three here. I got I got three. Three watches in. What'd your spouses think? She has not watched any TNG or any of the movies. She's only a fan of the original series, but she loves Patrick Stewart, so... She watched it with me, and she quite enjoyed it, although she did have a few questions here and there. Like, when I was all, like, super excited at the very end, she was like, what? Why? What is this? What is this we're seeing? I'm like, ah! But other okay. than that, uh, they did a good job of bringing the non-hardcore fans in, I think. Teresa really enjoyed it. I mean... On Tuesday, we watched Star Trek Nemesis, so we completed our Picard uh, prep watch. Nice. So, Teresa had a few questions, too. We had to pause it a couple times just because she needed some clarification uh, on a couple things. But otherwise, she enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. We were like holy shit at a few parts like oh my god i can't believe they did that or mm-hmm. it was really good we really enjoyed it and yeah i can't wait to talk about it with you guys this, i i'm so excited about picard no i hear you e- even more excited than discovery to be honest uh, likewise and i still do like discovery yeah but this is like on another level for me right it's like coming home I, yeah i agree it's it's just a culmination of everything that we've seen up to this point, I think, and just a continuation. You guys know I've been very excited for this show, and mm-hmm. I was afraid that I might be let down a little bit when it actually came, and I was not. So can't wait to dive into it a little more deeply. Look, after when did Voyager end? In 2000? Uh, 2001? Something like that. Sounds right. But... It's been 19 years since we've revisited the 24th century because it's all been prequels since Enterprise. The movies, Discovery, uh, the J.J. Kelvinverse movies. I mean, we got a brief glimpse of it from the prime timeline from Star Trek 2009, but it's all been prequel stuff. And to finally 
in real time from the end of Nemesis to now 20 years later in real life. And now it's 20 years later in the show. It's so cool. This is what we've been wanting for years. We've talked about this on the show many times, how we wanted the 24th century to come back and it's here. And I'm like, I'm like looking at all the details. I'm like soaking up all the information. I'm just, I love the post Voyager. That's what I've wanted. That's what I've wanted for years. And we have it. It's definitely something that uh, we've been wanting. We've been wanting to see because you're right. They have just gone backwards for some reason. And I'm not sure why they continue to do that. Uh, we talked about when we talked about discovery, how the story would have been just as good set in the future or set at a different time. The only reason they needed to, I mean, I'm kind of glad when season two came around that they had chosen to do it because Pike was so good. And the fact that they were able to use him was fantastic. So I, I did like that after the fact. Yeah. Originally, like why was this set? Why did they have to do this as a prequel to begin with? You know, just to tie things together when you have the, your, your futures wide open, you can do anything you want and not have the complaints. So now they're free to, to basically do whatever they want um, between here and the end of the, the series, which we know will be at least two seasons already. So Yeah. And, and Whoopi Goldberg! Can we just talk about that for a second? Like, yeah. holy crap! Yeah, Whoopi's going to join Guinan, for those of you who don't know, and I don't know why you wouldn't. <laughs> if you're nursing any of TNG... Like my wife, for example, she knows that Whoopi Goldberg was on Star Trek at some point, but she has no idea how mm. or why. Yeah. So <laughs> she didn't understand why I was happy about the fact that Whoopi Goldberg was going to be involved in Star Trek again. She's like, well, I didn't think you liked her. I'm like, I don't care about her talk show, but that doesn't mean I didn't like the Star Trek character. Yeah. It's actually ama- it amazes me that she isn't in this season because of the Borg focus. Oh, right. Right. But maybe there'll be more Borg in season two. Now, uh, before we get into the episode discussion, did you guys watch The Ready Room? I did. I did. Oh, okay. We all did. All right. Awesome. So we can talk about that too a little bit. I, I enjoyed it. I, I'm just excited. I'm just as excited as Will Wien is for this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His enthusiasm was great. Yeah. He was he was in Star Trek. Yeah, his fanboying over being the host of the after show was was fantastic. I really liked his enthusiasm, and you could tell that he was a fan of the franchise, not just somebody who was associated with it. And so he got invited back to to be a part of it again. Yeah. It, he's a fan, and he was genuinely excited to be doing that. And I I think that's pretty awesome. Definitely better than. I mean, no offense to Matt Mira and the other lady whose ready room I never watched, but uh, no, no offense to them, right, but right. it's it's Will Wien. Yeah, like, the production quality of this season of the ready room was better. Than yeah, because it's not on a green screen in some Facebook studio. Yeah, with a couple chairs. Yeah, last year's ready room. I think I watched one episode, and then I was just kind of like. Mm. Unless they, unless somebody tells me that there's like really good information being presented that I need to see, I'm probably not going to watch this. And and I ended up not watching it. So right, uh, I did like the first season of After Trek. I can only take Matt Muir in small doses, but I felt that it was just short enough to kind of give me just just as much of him as I could handle. 
and the production value on that you have to admit was amazing oh i still want that desk yeah oh yeah that table was amazing and yeah they had a full-on set they had people in but they definitely had some issues to work out you know Mm -hmm. whenever they tried to skype somebody in for an interview it was terrible (laughs) right absolutely awful it's like seriously you guys can't fly somebody out to to do this interview like uh you guys are not this is not working for you we're doing this on skype and we're getting way better quality than they ever got and they've got millions of dollars to throw at this thing and uh we're doing it on you know a few computers across the country from each other yeah so my wife liked the episode as well and actually at the very end she was like that's it i want more i was like yes I think yes. we all said that at the end of the episode. Because <laughs> it did feel very short, you know, over 40 minutes, but it... It was, yeah, 44 minutes, yeah. It it felt short. I, I wouldn't say that I thought it felt short. I did want more, obviously, when it ended. You know, I was like, I'm still excited, I'm still pumped, I'm still ready for some more story, but... Right. I, never, I didn't feel cheated in the episode. I just wished that I had another episode to watch right away. Um, yeah. I, this is definitely looks like something that i could easily binge an entire day if i if i sat down and did it so once the full season is released expect me to probably watch this many times <laughs> so uh talking about the runtime uh one of my friends on facebook tim he actually commented he said i wonder why they're making the episodes less than an hour if it's not on broadcast tv no need to leave time for commercial breaks. The first episode was like 44 minutes. They need to be longer. Mm-hmm. And I thought we had discussed this at some point, even yeah. though it is streaming and they have the technology or the time to like do whatever they want. I think they still format it that way just because that in case they ever do want to broadcast it on TV in mm-hmm. the future, they, they, to be edited it won't have to be cut to bits uh, right yeah so i think they they do that plus i just think television production has gone used to that format like the, that mm-hmm. structure format and so writing for tv and doing it that precise formula has worked pretty well for decades so <laughs> right yeah I, I think it has more to do with the former than the latter personally but uh Aaron? I feel like we're used to a two-hour premiere episode for all of the yeah. morning tracks except for Discovery. So I, f- I feel like that's that's part of it. It's a, it's a new thing. We kind of wanted a little more just to set things up. Although I mentioned this to you guys. I think this is the best Star Trek pilot episode that I have ever seen. Yeah, we had talked about that briefly uh, on chat Opinion. before uh, before Eric had yeah. seen it. Um, yeah, about about you know where we ranked it, and I definitely, if we're talking, if we're only looking at the very first episode of a series, just the first episode by itself, then yes, I agree, this was the best single episode opening of any Star Trek series. However, if we take the total premiere into account. I still rank Discovery's opening of the Vulcan Hello and the Battle of the Binary Stars, which were both released. They weren't. It wasn't a two-hour one episode, but both released at the same time. Right. So you could watch them 
back to back and so essentially it was a mm-hmm. two-part and right. i still rank that just a smidge higher if i count both episodes just to throw this out there there were a lot of people who were at the premiere and that have reviewed it mm-hmm. that have said that the thir- the first three episodes are like a chapter like there's a definite feel to that. I got so mad the first article I read where they're like, yeah, we got the first three episodes to review. And I'm like, you sons of <laughs> I want the first three episodes. In time. We do reviews. Why don't we yeah. have these episodes? In time. We In need time. to get on somebody's list. Right. Other than the FBI's and the NSA's. I'm probably already on their list. But <laughs> Why don't we jump into the news before we really get into the meat and potatoes of Star Trek Picard. First up, we have Noah Hawley's Star Trek Four will be a story independent from the previous Kelvin movies. No! How can you call it Star Trek Four if it's not? Yeah. Ah. I mean, Star Trek was Star Trek, and then it was Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Trek Beyond. They weren't Star Trek One, Star Trek Two, and Star Trek Three. That's just what we as as the fan base and like they kind of adopted that as just a way to (laughs) to to tell us Uh, i really want them to do it i want them to do a reboot of the voyage home for star trek before that's that's what i think they should do uh but no i'm kidding (laughs) really shouldn't this be like star trek 14 or something (laughs) we're really counting the numbers i mean so uh nemesis was technically nine or eight it's ten is it ten First Contact was 8, because we have Generations, which is 7, First yes. Contact 8, Insurrection I know how nine. to count, guys. <laughs> Nemesis 10. So then Star Trek 2009 would be 11, and yeah. And so on. Yeah, so 14, like I said, Star Trek 14. Just say 14 to start with, Eric. God. <laughs> so if, if they were to reboot The Voyage Home... You could definitely do some kind of climate change story where it's not necessarily the whale, but something else. Oh, it's got to be whales. It's got to be whales. How about we not remake any stories because Into Darkness was a garbage trash fire of a movie. Well, I saw your post earlier on Twitter. I... There are bits and pieces. I think you mentioned that too. There are bits and pieces yeah. of it which are good, but overall, yeah, uh, we've we've I, talked about look, that. Look, I love detail. I love Bunder Cumberbatch Snatchy do, but <laughs> but I'm sorry, but he's no Ricardo Montalban. Indeed. On the fact that Bubblebutt Cumberbutt had not like <laughs> acknowledged who he was. Like every interview, they're like, "Hey, uh, Bandersnap Cuttlefish, what are are you playing Khan? Everybody says that," and he's like, "No, I'm not Khan." And then there's like, you watch the movie, and there's this, supposed to be this huge reveal where he says, "I'm Khan Noonien soon." And we're like, "Yeah, we know, we figured that out like a year ago." <laughs> yeah. Uh... All, all I'm saying is, don't call it Star Trek Four. Just call it Star Trek. Insert subtitle here. That's it. Who even knows if it's still in the Kelvin universe? It could be at any point. Right. In the, but in but Trek. calling it but calling it Star Trek Four, and I don't think he necessarily did that. I right. maybe yeah. it was just Trek Today. But Star Trek Four implies, oh, this is the continuation of the Kelvin right. movie verse. Yeah. Right. Right. And maybe it will because they said it's the story is independent from the previous Kelvin movies. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's in a different version of the universe it could just mean that it's 
not involving the Enterprise crew. We could be seeing maybe they'll split off and you know we'll see some other part of this new Kelvin universe, but it just won't be a continuation of the previous three stories. Oh, then at that point, just do it in the prime timeline. I want to see Captain Sulu, though. Oh! Of, of, in the Kelvin universe. Oh No, that's one's... Oh! Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see what a Kelvin Universe Excelsior-class starship looks like. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> now, but also... those are ample nice cells. <laughs> <laughs> Easy there, Tiger. Anyways, th- this could all change in like two years. Who knows when we're getting this? Right, right. And uh, right now I'm all about episodic Star Trek. Yeah, we- we've got so much Trek coming at us that the movie, like... Yeah, I'd love to see Trek on the big screen. I, I think I told you guys I saw the Picard trailer in front of... It wasn't one of the actual trailers for the movie when I went and saw Star Wars, but it was playing as a commercial in the theater before the trailer started. You know how they do that now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was uh, seeing just the trailer for Picard on the big screen. I was like, oh my gosh, this would be so awesome to watch like this. So I'm hoping at some point in the future, maybe somebody's able to to put that together. Maybe, you know, Fathom, if you're listening, um, I want a 10-hour marathon of Star Trek. <laughs> I'd watch it. Theaters. I would. I would. Give me 10 minutes between episodes to run to the restroom and grab a snack or something. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, they've done more. I mean, people have gone and watched these, like, 23, 24-hour marathons of the Marvel movies before each Avengers movie has come out. Right. Um, and even, like, Endgame. People went and sat and watched like 24 movies in a row before watching Endgame and still enjoyed it and still had a good time somehow. I couldn't sit in a theater for 40 hours. I couldn't do that. That's a little bit much. But 10? I I, I could see that. Yeah. So next up, ahead of the premiere, Star Trek Picard is renewed for season two. I love this. (laughs) I'm I'm just happy about this. The fact that just advanced reviews, just people within the studio looked at it and said essentially hey you know what we know this is going to be good enough to make another one at least one more so i love that they didn't even have to wait for it to premiere before they got greenlit for a season two because hopefully that means less time between seasons <laughs> since they know it already they can start they can be writing it right now hopefully they are and uh you know we could see this maybe we could actually see these seasons start coming a little bit uh, quicker not having to wait like a full year between seasons of shows. Although from what I heard, like Star Trek Discovery season three has been pretty much like in the can for a while now. And they're just like waiting for CBS all access to schedule it. So I don't want like this backlog of track where, cause it's clear they don't want to overlap some of these shows because they want to sub- keep you subscribed to all access throughout the whole year. Yeah, right. they can't, but there's nothing stopping them from, if it's already, if it's ready to go basically now, the card's going to be done in nine weeks. So I'm thinking in 10 weeks discovery. <laughs> Well, that might be wishful. Maybe Thank eleven. You. Maybe give us one week to process that final episode to of uh, of, of Picard. Give us a chance to to binge through the entire season in one week. Mm-hmm. And then drop. Then start dropping Discovery on us. I'm okay with that. Well, yeah, we're the fans are okay with that, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, next up, we've already talked about it. The Ready Room, hosted by Will Wheaton. So far, I think he's done a great job. Yeah, good job, I, Will. I love the music s- segment. Yeah. Oh yeah, when they talked about mm-hmm. the. Uh, 
orchestration and, and all that. I have part of that on my likes. One of the things I, I thought I had heard when I was listening to it, when I was watching the episode, but I wasn't 100% sure. It just kind of had that feeling. And then they confirmed it on uh, the ready room. Yeah, that whole sequence where they, they're describing the metaphors, that was from that, right? Or was that from something completely different? Which one? Uh, where they described the metaphors right. in, in the... Um, opening yeah, yeah. composer was going through the the sequence and how he wrote the music to go along with the the opening sequence and and how, what that opening sequence meant which I, I admit like some of it i kind of got mm-hmm. but they put a lot more metaphoric imagery in there than than i caught upon viewing so i was like oh wow they really they really thought about this when they were putting this together and then they gave that information to the composer who really put that into the music too so just good job i mean that was it's just a great opening it's definitely different than anything we've seen from trek before Mm -hmm. different from discovery but awesome definitely i agree i'm glad it's not just like a starship flying through space finally on the news here something i know i've been waiting for for two years at least funko has announced star trek discovery pop figures yes gonna finally make me actually buy a pop figure so far i have several pops they've all been either given to me or i've gotten them from other things i've never i've never walked into a store or ordered a funko pop online directly purchased it for myself it's either been a gift or come in like a loot crate type situation with something else. Mm-hmm. But I will be getting Discovery Pops. Wait, look, look at my collection. 153 Pops. Oh, wow. That are valued over $2,000. There's an app for that? It's the Funko app. I was not aware. You can see the newest releases of uh, Pops and you oh. can put them into your collection. Oh, I need to download that. And there's also a wish list feature. So for any, so as you can see, I don't know, but see, there's the little Andorian guy. Oh yeah, oh, he's he's in my collection. But if you look up a pop, you can also add it to your wish list. Okay. And so it tells you the values based off uh, pop price guide. Nice. That's that's awesome. I used to have an app like that for my comic book collection when you plugged all your comics in and the general condition or whatever and it kind of gave you an estimated value if you were to to sell it off like did you know there's a guy fieri pop that is being released yeah i I follow the uh funko facebook and twitter feed so i did see that (laughs) wow it shipped directly from flavortown (laughs) (laughs) no so my uh four of my favorite pops are which ones the golden girls (laughs) (laughs) my god I love the Golden Girls. I bet you they would thank you for being a friend. They would. I watched I watch them every weekend, so I'm not ashamed. Not ashamed. Well, I am very much looking forward to owning some Star Trek Discovery Pops, uh, especially Saru. Yeah. No doubt. Saru is definitely the number one on my list um, of ones I want for sure. Um, I don't know which ones, uh, what all of them that they're going to be releasing, but... Saru mm-hmm. will be number one on my wish list for sure. Actually, you know the only pop figure that I have in my office? Is a Star Trek one? It's a Star Trek one. You guess. It's Riker. It's not Riker. I don't have Riker. It's Spock. No. I don't think that... Do they have TNG ones? I couldn't find yeah, any. Yeah, they, they do. They do. I couldn't find any. the one I, I have is a TNG pop. Okay, Data? Data. No. Troy. Picard. 
Loxana Troop. Worf. You're warmer with Picard. I don't. What did they make of? Version of Picard. The strong friend. <laughs> Borg Picard. Yes, Locutus of Borg. Wait, they made a Locutus pop? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, it's the only next gen pop that I wanted. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, I gotta look at my app now. Right, I gotta me... add that to the wish list. Here, I'll go grab it really quickly. It's with my Borgs. I had no idea that they made a Locutus. That's insane. Okay. What? Oh my god, yeah, there he is. Oh, that is so cool. I had no idea they even made that one. I wish I got the other next-gen pops when they came out, but... They're hard to find now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so hard that I didn't even... Like, when I searched for them, I didn't <laughs> find any other than ones like people had made. Like, literally handmade, like, the, like they had taken other pops and made them into next-gen figures. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm, I want the actual thing. If I'm going to get it, I want the actual thing. So I hope they release some of this stuff now with Picard coming out and the characters be back in the spotlight. Maybe, they, maybe they'll maybe they re-release some of this stuff and I'll be able to get my hands on it. I do hope they make Picard the series pop figures. Hopefully they don't wait three years like with Discovery. <gasps> then I, I could get a 7 of 9 pop. You could. I have a 7 of 9 itty-bitty from Hallmark. <laughs> I could make a joke, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, speaking of things that we can buy and, and waste our money on, would you buy this item in our next segment of the show? Would you buy it? Nope. Nope. Wow. The one As... person that I thought would buy this. <laughs> nope. If it was the Master Systems display, maybe. Yeah, I got I to gotta agree on this one. Uh, it's a It's a hard pass for me. The, the poster itself, oh, sorry, spoilers. Um, the item <laughs> itself is very nice looking. I do like right. it. However, the price versus the quality of material, yeah, the, the ratio is off for me for something like this. I, I'm sorry, but I've never heard of a satin poster before. You've got to be out of your flipping mind, StarTrek.com. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's really nice poster paper, but <laughs> yeah. it's still poster paper, and it's a black and white diagram of Voyager. It's nice looking, but again, this is not something that uh, I would say if this were in the 15 to $18 price range, I might consider it. Yeah. Or if it were fully matted and framed for the price point they're asking for mm. it currently. Yeah. And it's an odd size. It's like 36 by 54. That's not a standard, like you can find that in the poster shop. Yeah, you're going to have to go to go to Michael's or a frame store or something like that and get a frame made for this if you buy this item and want to frame it. The picture they show it hanging up by binder clips, I can't stand when people put up pictures <laughs> like that. I've seen it a lot, and I think, why did you even bother? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've actually never seen that, but I think that's incredibly tacky. And I get it. It's the 25th anniversary of Voyager, mm -hmm. but we don't need this crap. Like... If this was on a nice, like, plasticky material and it was replicating the Master Systems display, hell yeah, I would buy that in a heartbeat. But just the top-down view of Voyager, whoop-de-doo! Like... <laughs> I actually, I like the image a lot. Oh, I do too. It's a beautiful ship. Yeah, well, mm, I like this picture. Hey, F you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to have these, like this image, but maybe maybe at like 18 by 14 and like one of each of the main ships from all the series. 
like one of the TOS Enterprise, one of the yeah. TNG Enterprise, one of Deep Space Nine. Oh, did you know you can shop Star Trek Picard right now? <laughs> oh, you can buy a Dodge and Soji's necklace for a hundred bucks. Oh, is what? it a hundred bucks? I saw that it was up there, but I didn't look at the price. Ugh. It's ninety-five bucks. Yeah, Jeez. I figured they would sell that stuff pretty quick, but wow, hundred bucks. But you know what? There's only two in stock on the shop. Whoa. Two of them, eh? Two, you say? Like twins? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Maybe they only made two. You can get the Star Trek Picard Daystrom Institute short sleeve (laughs) t-shirt. Jesus, God. Wow. Oh, wait. It is in triple X, so oh, well, I can wear it. <laughs> they have a mug that says T Earl Grey decaf. Oh, fuck. I'm done, you guys. <laughs> I'm done. Oh, man. Okay. Now, for the most part, I'm okay with merchandising for TV shows, movies, all that kind of stuff. You know, I love, I mean, I'm literally wearing a, a TNG uh, hoodie. Right now, um, yeah, yeah, you've got the uh, you've got a Star Trek uh, hoodie sweatshirt on as well, yep. Aaron. Um, merchandising is okay up to a certain point, but at, at some point, it's a little too much. Like I prefer stuff that is either useful and cool looking. Like I like my sweatshirt, but it was a gift. I didn't buy it; it was a gift. Yeah. I bought the Discovery sweatshirt because I really like that Discovery logo, and it was a, I needed a hoodie at the time, and I was like, hey. I'm going to buy a hoodie. Might as well be a Discovery hoodie. Yeah. And I have the Discovery, I have the mug with the Discovery logo, which gets use almost every day. I alternate between that mug and my other Star Trek mug that my daughter bought me at uh, Philadelphia Comic-Con last year. So, you know, I've always got a Star Trek mug in my hand at work one way or the other. My God, the merchandising is insane just for Picard. There's a Star Trek coat of arms personalized bandana that they put on a dog. Where are they coming up with this stuff? Do you want a Star Trek Picard Chateau Picard Vineyard Shepherd's Blanket? You can for 50 bucks. That's what I've been. That's what I've been dreaming of for years. Uh, You know what? Star Trek has like, hey, no money, no money. But my God, are they Ferengis when it comes to this stuff (laughs) for merchandising? Sorry, I, I went on a tangent. Like, this link is wild, this store. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, but, I mean, but for every for every ten things we complain about, we'll find something that we're like, oh, I can't live without this another day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's something for everybody, I think, is what it comes down to. Is Like, uh, you said they were selling that uh, that red sweatshirt, or the red sweater, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I like that. Picard sweater. I'm like, I... I actually really like that sweater. Depending on what it's made out of and how much it is, I, I, I might be rocking that sweater next winter. Next <laughs> yeah. And now that we don't have a place like Think Geek to get some quality Star Trek merchandise, Star Trek Shop is all we got. Okay, I, I pull that back. They have an Enterprise section. There's some cool t-shirts that I would get. <laughs> like the Enterprise logo? Yeah. Like okay, or that, but but that's through Anovos because Anovos oh, yeah. originally did those. That's true. Anyhow, I want to make a T-shirt. If this doesn't exist already, I want to make a T-shirt that is like a TNG hallway with the holodeck doors open, 
and inside the holodeck doors is uh, Enterprise happening, since it entirely happened on the holodeck of the Enterprise D in season seven. Get out. <laughs> that would be a cool t-shirt. I would rock that t-shirt. Let's uh, jump into the show, Star Trek Picard, season one, episode one. At the end of the 24th century, and 14 years after his retirement from Starfleet, Jean-Luc Picard is living a quiet life on his vineyard, Chateau Picard, when he is sought out by a mysterious young woman, Dodge. In need of his help, he soon realizes she may have personal connections to his own past. My god. Yeah, so sorry, it was an okay episode. It was fantastic. There's definitely more likes than dislikes. In fact, I only have one dislike, and it's not that big of a deal. That's good. Yeah. I, I had to struggle to think of something that I actually disliked, and it's very possible that my dislike will end up getting assuaged in the rest of the season. So, yeah, I'm with you. My my list of likes is definitely much, much lo- longer than my dislikes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't even have as many question marks as you did you had some things that you didn't say you didn't necessarily not like but questioned and some of those i think i made up answers as i usually do when i watch tv shows i kind of made up answers to some of these questions as i went along mm-hmm. and we'll see if i end up being right or not later on uh, but we'll we'll talk about it so uh crack away what, what did you like about this episode Aaron? well like any good everything <laughs> Like uh, episode over. Like I know exactly. Like any good episode of Star Trek, this is drawing parallels to current events. The interviewer is trying to demonize the quote-unquote enemy, the Romulans, and the look on Picard's face when she brings up Data mm. was pretty haunting it, to me, anyway. Because she's look, he's looking at her like, "You son of a." You did not just bring up data. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I nearly, I missed it up at the very opening of this episode. But when they got to the interview part and he started talking to them, and there was one moment in particular that I'll talk about that I did, like the tear actually did roll that first time I watched it. Because I was like, oh, this is Picard. Yes! We mentioned it in the pre-show uh, before we started recording, but... We see a variety of Romulans, and as the show progresses, we'll see different sects of Romulans throughout the series. And this shows that they are not one-dimensional, and there are different cultures within the Romulan Like Like when Tuvok showed up, like a, a black Vulcan? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? This isn't a thing. Yeah, it's nice to see that other species have differences within their own species like humans do. Um, And it's something that we haven't really seen in Star Trek as much before. Really, the only example that you could point to would be (laughs) what you just said. You know, it's like, oh, so there's, there's, there's black Vulcans and white Vulcans. Okay, cool. But other than that, I mean... Well, Klingons, too. Yeah, Klingons physical differences too because original series and what i like about the comics because there was a discovery comic too that took place after season two they even showed like smoother skin klingons next to discovery klingons and some others so i i really like that they're exploring that hey we don't just slap the same forehead on like five different people right 
it's nice to see that they're acknowledging that. Yeah. And again, it's part of it is just the fact that movie making and filmmaking technology has come a long way to where they can make these different processes and mm-hmm. not have it be cost prohibitive. You know, back in the old days, you know, when you had to strap a uh, toy unicorn horn onto a dog to have an alien animal, you couldn't really do that with a whole bunch of different species. You had to work with what you had. And so putting them all in the same uniform and giving them a slightly darker skin tone and pointy eyebrows and boom, you've got yourself a Klingon there. You don't have to do that anymore. And now you don't even have to use the same like, okay, we've got this design for forehead ridges. That's pretty much it. You can you can change them around a little bit, but that's all you can do. No, now we can do every single individual character that we see looks unique and different. And they have the technology to do that and sustain that where they never had that before because the technology was not there to make that cost effect. Next up, uh, they show Greater Boston. I'm from Boston. Leonard Nimoy is from Boston. Boston's awesome. It is awesome. And as soon as I saw Boston, I instantly thought of you, Aaron. You should have seen the smile on my face (laughs) when I first (laughs) saw it. Now, I was uh, watching this on the train, uh, the MBTA, Hopefully they improve uh, transportation in the future in Boston. I hope so. Flying around in that scene, so hopefully uh, you're not stuck on a train underground. (laughs) You can can fly above all. I've been stuck underground many a time. Thanks, MBTA. (laughs) I've been to Boston, so I've got that going for me. Yeah. Well, Eric has, uh, Mr. Dewey has as well. We've all been there. I mean, Barry. Yeah, I, meant I was Barry. gonna say. <laughs> I meant Barry, because <laughs> I, I I went there for the first time because of your wedding. Yeah, woot. So there you go. Yeah. So so that was awesome, and there were a bunch of Easter eggs within that scene. That if you pause, you can look through. But you'll see a couple of things. That's cool. My number one like the bag over Dodge's <laughs> head was just a bag when we talked about in our last episode the cgi bag that was over pike's head that really irked me i'm glad that was just a bag in this episode i get it at the same time i'm i'm for some reason a lot more lax about that kind of stuff like i don't mind seeing cool new technology even if it's technically set before what we've seen before like there's technology that that goes in and out of fashion and use um so it wouldn't you know, I, I don't, I don't mind it as much. Mm-hmm. I will admit, though, that when I saw that, I thought to myself, I thought, you know, I bet Aaron's going to say something about it. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but I have to point out that that was not uh, a Starfleet attack force coming at him. So, if it had That's been true. a Starfleet attack force for some reason, it probably would have been some super tech uh, mask. But it was just some uh, <laughs> rogue Romulans. But we don't really know yet. I, I was with you, Aaron. As soon as I saw a regular bag, I was like, yes, regular bag. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I did. In my mind, yeah. I was like, oh, thank God, it's just a regular bag. Because, I mean, they have, like, they had that thing they put on her head. Um, I don't know what it was doing. The twirling thing. And they had helmets on. So I'm like, oh, no, what are they going to do? <laughs> and then they put it in down. Like, what are they going to do to knock her out? And then, like, time stops, and then she's activating, bam! Oh, that was a great scene. Just a, a fantastic oh, yeah. choreographed fight scene. I really yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. Mars has been burning for 14 years. 
That's insane. Yeah, it's not necessarily a like, but more like, wow. They put that in there to kind of shock you and to show you how devastating the attack was. But I'm wondering what what is the atmosphere of Mars that it can do it? Because it said, I'm looking, there's a Wikipedia entry for the atmosphere of Mars. Like, okay, 95% carbon dioxide 2% nitrogen and 1 per 1.9% argon. So it's like, yeah. I, I mean, they said that it was like flammable vapor in the stratosphere from it, all that starship building. That like what? Now, see, I was having this debate with a friend as well. And then I was like, you know, whatever uh, I gave up <laughs> like trying to talk. It's, it's fiction. I, I would assume that it has something to do either with, the, the shipyard. Obviously, yeah. they're building ships. They're going to have to have a lot of materials there, some of which is probably going to end up being flammable. Okay, and no, now I get that. Because the idea was yeah. to put that shipyard out of commission for forever, basically. Then they would specifically yeah. try to release that stuff. Oh, yeah, because it could be a lot of, like, warp plasma and shit that, yeah. like, from the ships and, like, materials for shipbuilding. Yeah, okay, never mind. I withdraw my statement. It could also have to do with uh, terraforming. If they were trying to terraform Mars, oh, no. the one thing they'd have to do is introduce a boat ton of oxygen into the atmosphere. So they would have had just a ton of oxygen and, uh, you know, probably what about amounts of it on hand to, to release into the atmosphere. And if it all got released at once and then got trapped by the gravity and then got set on fire. What about methane from cow farts? Right. A lot of Mars cows. They shipped all the cows to Mars. That is canon. Look it up. So, yeah, I mean, if you, they were want to terraform and you want global warming, you, yep. you do cow farts. Yeah. Elon Musk oh, wants to uh, nuke Mars to terraform. What? Elon Musk. He wants to uh, nuke cool. Mars to uh, terraform it. Every day i have a different opinion about that man because one day i'm like man this guy's a genius i love him the next day i'm like this guy is insane and somebody should lock him you up. know what he reminds me of remember those from deep space nine the uh augments that julian was working with yes it kind of reminds me of, of those <laughs> he he reminds me of a bond villain who just hasn't turned completely evil yet he's yeah. got all the plans he's got all the yeah. He's got all the makings of all he needs to do is one thing to tip him over the edge and be like, you know what? I'm making a new world. Flamethrowers and whatnot. No, uh, those, are, those are not flamethrowers. They say right on them, not a flamethrower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next thing I think is cool, but I feel like they could have been left at his house. So what I'm talking about is the Starfleet Archive Museum. It's cool, but why doesn't Picard just keep these things on his vineyard. I have an, an answer for that that I thought of when I was watching the show. Because my initial mm. thought was, too, is like, why doesn't he just have this stuff at home? And then I realized, like, well, with that interview, when he left Starfleet, it yes. was not a happy parting. He didn't just retire, like, oh, I'm too old to be in Starfleet anymore, so I'm going to go to my vineyard and live out the rest of my days. No, he quit. He rage quit Starfleet. <laughs> and so I yeah. assume that a lot of this stuff is stuff that he doesn't want to see on a daily basis. Because all it's going to do is remind him okay. of what he what he lost. Okay. So he doesn't want to give it up and just destroy it or give it away. But at the same time, I've got it. Because in this show, 
he's talked about how he's written books about history, all of this stuff. So Picard, more than anyone, knows the importance of history. So that ties into what Eric is saying, where, yes, he didn't part on Starfleet with good terms, but he recognizes his own importance in history. So essentially, he put all that stuff in Starfleet's moving garage or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. But it's to preserve his own past in the future, these artifacts might be important. So he doesn't want to see it at home. He does have one of Data's paintings in his home, mm-hmm. but he still recognizes that a lot of what he owned is valuable to how history will look onto him. I see. All right. And I think an archive museum is great, especially with that technology. Keep things in like a pattern buffer or something and stored and in a hermetically sealed and computer indexed library. I thought this was the I thought this was one of the coolest locations we saw in this yeah. premiere. I agree with that. I agree with that. I just thought it was odd, but now that you guys you you, you turn me around, I, I I like it more now. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. All right. Pack it in, guys. We're done. We're done. <laughs> so yeah, it's just it's stuff that he wants to keep. It's still important to him, but he doesn't want to be reminded of it all the time. Yeah, I dig it. Next, we have Maddox. Hell yeah. Now, we've talked about how those androids in the trailer kind of looked like a, a hybrid of Maddox and a Sung-type android. And now we know why. And now we know that he's the creator of Dodge and Soji. Well, do we know that? Uh, it's highly that is, implied. Speculation. A speculation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It- more likely oh. than not at this point. I think he disappeared. I I would bet that he's their father that they mention. Yeah. Yeah. And is that actor like still alive or doing anything? <laughs> I have no because, idea. Because no, I'm super curious. The only time we've seen him is in Measure of a Man. He was mentioned in Data's Day, but we never saw him again after Measure of Man. How cool would that be? Like, just like Hugh, out of nowhere, this actor comes back, like, towards the end of the season or whenever they're going to wrap up this mystery. Mm. I would love to see that happen. Yeah, I would, yeah, too. I, no, I, I completely agree. Um, I have that on my on my likes as well, oh. so we'll get there. The actor who played Maddox was... Uh, his name is Brian... Brophy. Uh, he was in the Shawshank Redemption, Armageddon, Kiss the Girls. And he's a director of theater arts at the California Institute of Technology. Huh. He's right down the street from Hollywood. They could just grab him and be like, yo, you, you want to be Bruce Maddox again? Yeah, they are definitely filming in uh, California, too. So I know I'm so excited because I was in Anaheim and... I was in Anaheim in 2018 for Power Morphicon, and that's, I swear to God, that whole place is like the Anaheim Convention Center mm. when they were in in that area. I was like, I walked by there, I sat on that bench, and I, like, <laughs> Teresa and I were geeking out because we recognized all the buildings and stuff. It oh, was nice. cool. Nice. It would be cool. That would definitely be really cool. The fact that they mentioned him is uh, a good sign, I think, so. Yeah. He's he's only like in one episode of TNG, so like 
I mean, for for us diehard fans, that's like a whoa moment. Mm-hmm. And for everyone else, it might just be like, who the hell are they talking about? Right. But, oh, I as soon as I heard Maddox, I was like, oh, oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, some deep cuts. I think I think Star Trek fans are, are happy with this. Even though I've read some reviews that are not favorable, I don't know. I don't know how that's even possible. I've only read one review that wasn't like really favorable and it was more of a they felt like they didn't get enough out of the first three episodes, which I was like, there's still seven more, so like yeah. how much of the story do you want handed to you in the first three? You know, you've gotta have the rest of the story. They didn't complain about anything about the story. They just were like, It didn't seem like there was enough story in these three episodes. I'm like, Well, how about you watch the rest of the series and you know, tell me about if the story was complete then. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Next up on my list here. So, forcibly taking the android, Dodge fails. So the Romulans take a more covert approach. And I'm thinking this is Tal Shiar. Very Romulan to go in there kind of forcibly trying to take what they want. We've seen them do that. And then right. we've also seen them do things convert convertly. So I, I mm-hmm. thought that was pretty awesome. And going with the Romulan thing again, the reclamation site is a Borg cube. Dun, dun, dun. Awesome. Awesome. A couple of things really quick with the, with the theory that they, they were trying to t- take the Android and that failed. So then they're doing this more covertly. I don't know that it was a if-then type of situation. I think both of these things were happening simultaneously. And mm-hmm. also, there's not anything yet to to say that these are the same group of Romulans. You know, we know that there's different sects of Romulans. We know that there's different oh. groups of Romulans that relocated after uh-huh. the, the supernova. So there's nothing 100% set in stone right now that tells us that the Romulans going after Dodge are the same group of Romulans mm-hmm. that are with Soj. Or is it Soji? Yeah. Soji. So I, I, they probably are. They're probably connected in some way, but that hasn't been established yet. So I'm not willing to, to make that leap just yet. Okay. I, I feel I you. Oh, if the, I, I, I'm a hundred percent sure that the, the one Romulan that we see talking to Soji in the episode knows about her and is trying to get close to her to establish some sort of like he seems shady to me Mm -hmm. um even though he came in like being all friendly and like oh i'm gonna talk about my family and oh you lost you lost you know you had a sister i lost my brother and all sorts of theories flying around about who his brother might be brother might not even exist if this guy's tal shiar then he's making this thing this whole story up whole cloth just to try to get close to her but I'm not. I'm not necessarily willing to make that leap yet that they're the same group of people necessarily. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, it's definitely a possibility. Yeah, no, I definitely see where you're coming from, and that would make sense too. Two different sets of of Rhymelands trying to outdo each other or trying to, you know, take over what's left of the Rhymeland Empire, and they need to get this or these androids to to do that. I. I dig that. I, see, I can see that. Um, so you guys, what what do you guys like? 
oh my god i love everything that you love and that we all love and we love it i do want to mention some things though um in addition to everything that you mentioned aaron because i completely agree with you i really like some of the new characters that they introduced especially uh dr agnes gerardi yeah i thought she was fantastic the amount of energy that the actress brings to this role and she's kind of like serious but also funny and i i was just so i'm like i can't wait to see where this character goes because if this is the same caliber of the new crew that we're going to be getting i am totally on board for this show i just for some reason i really liked her character completely agree yeah one thing i loved about it was the fact that she was not in any of the trailers or at least she didn't speak in any trailers that I can recall. Mm-hmm. And so when we mm-hmm. saw her, I was like, oh, I like her. She's fun. And then yeah. when they showed the preview for the next episode and she's like part of the crew, I was like, oh, yes, this is awesome. Like, I love the fact that they're still able to surprise us, even though there's been, you know, talk online and previews and trailers and all this stuff. And while I try to avoid spoiler stuff, I do watch trailers. I do read articles, mm-hmm. you know, interviews with actors and stuff. And yeah fact that i didn't know that she was going to end up being part of the the group part of the crew basically but yeah i left the, my favorite part is when she just says because i really wish you to come here on my day off <laughs> yeah she kind she kind of reminds me of a more seasoned tilly i could see that yeah same uh... same kind of energy but kind of toned down like restrained just a little bit yeah yeah i mean not like over the top comic relief tilly but in the same spirit yeah, yeah, she knows what she's doing. She's got the the brains and the know-how to have the job that she's got, but she's also fun and outgoing and, you know, got a little spirit in her as well, which, yeah, yeah, I, I, I like that assessment. I didn't make that connection before, but I do like that assessment. It's kind of like a, a seasoned or more, I, w- I wouldn't even say restrained, but just, you know, a Tilly type that knows when and where. To, to let that out and mm-hmm. whereas Tilly is still learning that which I think is part what I love the character of Tilly and I love the fact that she doesn't have that restraint yet because she is a cadet she's learning and if she already had all that then you know what's there for her to learn yeah and Agnes must be much older than Tilly oh yeah for sure so considering that it was before they banned making artificial life forms. So right. pre fourteen years, so and she was out of the academy. Yeah, she was already working on these things before that happened. So Yeah. I um, have a I have a little bit of a theory in regards to her that I'll get to when we when we talk about our theories later on at the end of the episode. Uh, I also love just the fact that we got to see 24th century Earth mm. more than we ever have ever in Star Trek. Right. And I love that we finally got to see the Daystrom Institute. We've heard about it literally since the original series. Uh, well, well, Richard Daystrom and all the series. So the fact that we're finally seeing this, you know, prestigious, like, technical achievement. And even because we saw that establishing shot in one of the trailers. But just to see, know that there's, like, floaty things on Earth, like floaty building cloud things and i would love it if they did such a deep dive 
that we found out that Picard worked on the Atlantis project for a little bit. Remember that thing and yeah. family? Yeah, I remember. I would love to see a mention, or at least if we get a shot of Earth, there's like some big f***ing island in the in the Atlantic. <laughs> Middle of the ocean. Nowhere. Like, hey, wait a minute. That continent didn't exist. <laughs> Oh, I, I just, I think that'd be like a cool touch or, or yeah. something like that. But it was great to be on the vineyard to see San Francisco and even go to Japan. That's cool that the Daystrom Institute is in Japan, like Okinawa, like, you know, a great technological hub of, of advancement here on earth today. Right. And it shows that it's a global community. And, and that's what, that's what I think makes this really fun is that you see the transporter network in action. You see shuttles all the way around. Like it, it didn't pull me out of the episode that, oh yeah, Dodge found him like the next day because yeah, she just beamed over there. It's so cool to be like seeing that kind of like that earth life. Like you, you can go anywhere and you can do whatever and it's awesome. I really loved how they showed like the the transporter like the 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 network where they had like like these portals that you can literally walk through and transport to another location. I'm sure there's set points like like bus stops where you walk into one and you walk out somewhere else, but the transporter technology is so fast in this time frame that we're looking at where people are walking through these transports without breaking stride. They just yeah, they're walking into a portal in one place and walking out someplace else, but it's very clearly still transporter technology. It doesn't look like a portal. It doesn't look like a portal that's open all the time. You can stick your arm in and uh, you know, you're no. wave at people on the other side. It's a transporter. You walk through it, you transport to the other location. But and it's so quick, it's so boom, instant. Um, they even showed with the replicators when he ordered his decaf Earl Grey, it was much quicker than the TNG replicators. Uh, to to create that that cup and the tea and everything like it was really really quick it was a cool effect but it was a lot quicker than than what we saw in TNG. I also really like technology wise. I'm so glad that we saw finally an updated Lacars. Mm. And Trent Core retweeted the people that worked on the updated Lacars. So now I know what the font is that they used, oh. and they even said that. You know, one one fan commented and responded, oh, well, I noticed when Picard was using his replicator, the the like OS, the operating system of Lacars, the color scheme was more next generation. And the designer was like, I'm glad you noticed that because, you know, it makes sense that household versions of Lacars wouldn't be the most advanced, like they would still need upgrades, you know, so. I I love seeing Lacars, you know, Mike Mike Akuda, Mike and Denise Akuda really set a precedence of how Star Trek looks graphic design wise. And to see an updated version of that 20 years later, a, as a designer, as someone who's into a lot of the Star Trek tech stuff, I was super giddy just even to see that interface come back. I agree. Definitely. It was it was nice to see that continuity, but upgraded like you said it, mm-hmm. and it makes sense you know because if you look at even our technology today you look at windows 10 it 
<laughs> if you go back and look at Windows 3.1, yeah, it looks older, and it's like, oh my gosh, this was so clunky. How did we ever get by? But at the same time, you can see the similarities. You can mm -hmm. see where the design stemmed from and how it flowed and how it progressed to where it is today. Whereas a lot of times with, with sci-fi, when they jump decades or centuries, everything looks completely different. And you're like, but it doesn't even, it doesn't even look like it was based on, and why would they change that? Mm -hmm. So it was not just that continuity. But considering all the things that they have retroactively changed, you know, in this mm -hmm. new Star Trek era, I was very glad that they at least respected, you know, the design lineage of Lacars and everything. And the enterprise D looks freaking great in HD. Yeah. It looks incredible. And I don't know if that was a digital set for the the long shot of the 10 forward mm. or if they physically built that. But they nailed it. Even those like crazy wall panels on the side, they had everything perfect. Those chairs, everything. So I just love the attention to detail as from, from a Star Trek design perspective. I think Picard really hit everything up like on the nose for that yeah just check boxes like, yeah we got this we got this we got that perfect i i can't wait to see a phaser like a new phaser mm. i would love to see that federation romulan disruptor type situation or whatever they got going on um which was pretty cool i like that it's kind of like a blade mm. too yep. it looks like a blade thingy even their assault rifles look cool like just production-wise, they nailed it for Picard. Yeah, agreed. And all the story points, I just, I love the nostalgia. I felt so connected back to this world. It felt like coming home and just going under a warm blanket. It was, it was great. Even seeing B4, mm -hmm. I, I felt bad because I was like, crap, there was that glimmer of hope that maybe Data survived. But now he's stuck in a drawer again. Yeah. And it, it it was emotional because I was like, well, crap, that means Data really is dead. Like, there's no hope. He's just, he's gone. And I was sad about that. Teresa was sad about that. But seeing Brent Stewart come back, or Brent Stewart, I combined <laughs> the two, into a transporter accident. But Brent's, to see Brent Spiner come back, even if it's for these dream sequences, I think that's a great move to still keep that character alive. But it also shows how much Data's death, even 20 years later, is still affecting Picard's life. Mm. He's hung on to that, and it's painful for him. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree, and especially, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but I'm very glad that data is actually dead and not because I dislike data <laughs> and I wanted him dead, but because seriously in all of nemesis, one of the only redeeming features of that film is the sacrifice data makes for Picard. And I always felt that they cheapened that at the end when they had before singing the song and it's like, oh, look, they're just going to resurrect Data in B4. So his sacrifice really meant nothing because it, it's like in Time's Arrow when he died, but he didn't really die. He just, you know, he just has an old head. 
<laughs> That's true. He does have an old hat. <laughs> so I like the fact that he actually did die because it yep. makes that scene in Nemesis mean something. Right. And the fact that they're tying that back and bringing that back to something that really has a strong emotional impact on Picard is awesome. And the fact that they're able to bring Burn Spiner and the Data character back in dreams and these hallucinations or whatever they are, these these messages that he's getting from his own subconscious, that's cool. Because I love I love Burn Spiner, so I'm I'm very happy that they've been able to include him in some way, uh, without, like I said, cheapening that moment from Nemesis that really was, for me, one of the only redeeming features of that movie. <laughs> so I also had no idea that. Brent Spiner's like as old as my dad. I, I like when I found that out, I was like, my God. <laughs> well, we're watching a TV show. That's how old now? I know, but yeah, it's just weird. No, like yeah. these are youngins compared to me. How old is I was a kid when TNG came out? So Brent Spiner's like 71 Jesus. or 70. Okay. Yeah. Like, but you wouldn't think that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that makeup on, I'm really glad. I, I appreciate the de-aging. I saw your, I saw that picture that they put behind the scenes. Yeah. Oh, man. That's rough. I'm really glad <laughs> that the de-aging CGI exists to have Data in some form back. Because he definitely couldn't pull off... <laughs> being data if it was just him and makeup yeah brent spiner's like a few months older than my dad yeah it's to me that's just nuts yeah anyhow <laughs> but but no overall i really liked it i really liked the interaction between picard and dodge mm-hmm. because he was so compassionate yeah. about her well-being and i'm like that's the picard i know Despite his conflicts with Starfleet, that truly was Picard. Compassionate, willing to listen to people's problems, willing to help out at the first sign of trouble. When he was just so open and understanding to Dodge, I was like, wow, this is just such a great character. And we know this character. So it feels authentic. And... I love the little moments that they had together. Like even him confiding in her and saying, look, no one can take those memories for you. I was like, my God, he's talking about the inner light. He had a lifetime of memories that technically aren't his, but are a part of him. And he lived them as real as his own life. So yeah, when she's like, oh, well, do you even know? like second guess yourself or, you know, there's a different side of you and, and even tying that back to him being Lacutus mm-hmm. more than anyone. Picard knows what Dodge is going through and God, it's, it's such a wonderful story. Yeah. He kind of reminded me of a granddad in those scenes. Yeah. Just, just because of, so, I mean, Picard was compassionate in the next generation but I felt like this was a a step above that than mm-hmm. I'm used to seeing with Picard, uh, which isn't a bad thing at all. Um, it's, it's just an evolution of his character. Yeah. So I dug that. I also dug how he was showing his age 
when they were running up the stairs, and he's like, I felt, I felt so sad. I'm yeah. like, no, don't, don't tire him out. Don't wear him out. I'm like, oh man, and, he can't die like this. He can't die from a heart attack. I'm like, up he the can't, stairs. he can't die running up the stairs. Uh, hopefully that synthetic heart is better than we're giving it oh, credit true. for. Yeah, he's right. probably had an upgrade or two since yeah. we last saw him. Look, Leonard McCoy lived to like 150 or whatever, so I'm not really worried about Picard. Right. Right. <laughs> but but yeah, no, I when he was out of breath, I'm like, oh man, this is this isn't the same captain that. But for 90, because the character is 90 mm-hmm. at this point. For ninety, he's still a pretty fit human, right? And and I remember when uh, when we watched Nemesis, that line where you know they're all getting ready to go to Beta Zay. He's like, "Well, if you excuse me, I'll be in the gym." Yeah, I mean, physical fitness is important to him too. So, yeah. the fact is, he looks pretty good for ninety. Yeah, but I, I do like the the fact that they do show that we are still yeah. dealing with an older person here. You know, mm-hmm. so that is something to take into consideration for the rest of the series. And we'll see if that comes into play again at some point in the future. And like I said, I'll probably like everything that Eric is about to say now. So uh, it's just, I, I agree with you, Aaron. This is probably one of the strongest star Trek premieres of all time. And I don't know if part of that is because we already know Picard so well or what, Right. So it's kind of biased on there, but but technically, right out the gate, I think the story is very strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. And like I said, my, my wife has not watched any TNG, none of the TNG movies. She is strictly a TOS fan. She's never watched anything past TOS. She She only wanted to watch Picard because she loves Patrick Stewart. So she wanted to watch Picard with me, and she got the story. She was following along just fine. You know, she had a couple of questions for me, but it was really stuff that I think if I hadn't been there, it would have ended up being, it's probably going to be explained in the next few episodes anyway. I'm actually curious what, what were some of her questions? Uh, well, specifically the biggest one was at the end of the episode when oh, I got what, what is that? excited <laughs> because I saw like, oh my gosh, they're like, trying to rebuild a board cube or they're living on a board. Like, what are they doing with this board cube? Why are they doing this with this board? What are they doing? And she was like, what, what is that? Why, why is that important? I'm like, cause that's a board cube. She's like, what's a board cube. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> who even are you right now? <laughs> but uh, yeah, besides that, it was just kind of like a, you know, she every now and then like, who's this? I'm like, ah, this is this is a new character. This isn't somebody from the, the old series. Oh, okay. uh, you know, and then she'd be like, oh, is this, um, you know, is, I thought you said he was dead. I'm like, yeah, this is a dream sequence. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is obviously a dream. Shush, shush. <laughs> but no, yeah, it really, you know, she was able to follow along quite well without having the background. My experience, I think, was enhanced by having the background. So, I I think they've done a really good job of walking the line between something someone with no Trek background can watch and something that someone like us, who's literally consumed everything Trek up to this point, can also watch and enjoy. Mm -hmm. I am really glad that Teresa and I took the time to watch like a hundred and something episodes of Star Trek because 
the questions were minimal and I, I think she got more out of it too, especially those key episodes like, you know, with Maddox and all that stuff. Cause it's, it, it's pretty blatant what they're referring to. Yeah. If you hadn't seen measure of man or knew that that was going on, the reference to Bruce Maddox is just, okay, some guy. And I'm sure they'll get deeper into it later on. Like actually showing him. <laughs> oh yeah. Maddox. We know that guy. All right. So I'll go into a few of the things I like. Obviously I like everything you guys said. I, I don't refute anything there. One of the things I really, really liked was that opening. I mean, mm. just giving us that opening with a familiar thing that we all know as fans, the Enterprise D. And it was very obvious. I, I've actually, I heard from somebody, I talked to somebody who said that they didn't like that it opened up on a dream sequence because it felt like a cheap trick. And I was like, I, I don't think that. Because mm-hmm. A, they made it very clear to us right from the beginning. Anybody who's a fan, at least could tell that it was a dream sequence right from the very beginning because of the clues they gave us. I mean, we see Picard playing poker with Data in 10 forward, uh, otherwise empty 10 forward, otherwise empty ship. We don't see anybody else on the ship. We see Data wearing a Deep Space Nine era uniform that is not congruent with being on the Enterprise D, which they obviously are on. And old Picard. The, you know, it's not de-aged Picard. It's right now Picard. So right away, they're giving us these clues that, okay, this isn't this isn't happening. And then they they go on to do the the whole bit with between him and Data, and that was just a great little conversation that they that they had with each other. Um, and then they flash to all of a sudden they're at Mars, and for any of us who saw the short track, know oh this is probably not going to go well. And that whole sequence, I felt, even if you didn't know anything going into it, you could tell that it was a dream sequence. Mm -hmm. And if you did know anything about Trek going into it, you definitely knew it was a dream sequence. So I don't think it was intended to fool anybody. I think it was intended to set up the fact that Picard is still deeply haunted by Data's death and his relationship with Data. And I think that's where that was going in. Also, the de-aged data was not nearly as terrifying as it was in the trailers, which is which is good. It's still not perfect uh, by any stretch, but it was good enough that it did not take me out of the moment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was able to, even on HD, watching it on my big TV, I was, okay, that's data. That's fine. It's okay. <laughs> so I, I, I like that as well. The interview that Aaron was talking about. Oh, my gosh. That scene was so powerful and not just in the sense of that individual episode and what he says in that episode, but the fact that it also served as kind of a catch up. It kind of let us get, you know, kind of up to date with, okay, here's why Picard's where he is right now without just giving us like a block of text at the beginning of the episode or some unnecessary voiceover that doesn't fit in and takes us out of the moment. It let us get caught up with the story as it stands right now in a way that felt like it fit. Mm -hmm. It also gave us one of the best moments. This is the the moment that actually got the, (laughs) that actually pushed that tear out my eye and down onto my cheek when they're, when they're, they're talking, you know, I was already starting to mist up when she's talking about data 
But then when she starts talking about the attack on Mars and he says, we're talking about millions of lives. And she's like, Romulan lives. And he's like, no, lives. And I was just like, yes, this mm-hmm. is Picard right here. Like he like mm-hmm. straight up told her like, oh, no, you didn't just say you didn't just qualify those lives as unimportant by putting Romulan in front of them. No, those were lives and we were supposed to help them and we but- didn't. And then the whole Dunkirk thing, I was like, wow, he he got you. Yeah, because you could see it on her face. Like, she's like, mm-hmm, sure, okay. And then he, like, hit her with it later. Like, you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Yeah, that that whole that whole scene was just so powerful, I felt. Because, like I said, it, it moved the story along. It got us caught up to date on, you know, why Picard's in the situation he's in right now and sets us up for the rest of the story. And it was just so emotionally just packed that moment for me. Like when he just, you know, he's there, he's just having a conversation. And then, you know, she goes where she's not supposed to go. They, they said, they told her three times not to ask about that. And then she, here she is asking about it. And he told her, <laughs> he told her good. <laughs> it was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed that scene because there was just so much packed in to a small scene without it feeling cramped or, or stuffed or unnecessary. It was great. I also really loved the action sequences in this whole episode. Uh, the fight choreography was fantastic. I really loved how we saw some use of transporter technology within the fight. We see one of the Romulans getting knocked over a railing, and as he's falling, <laughs> he transports, I like and that. transports back to the top of the stairs to continue the fight. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, that, you know, if you have this technology, like, this is how you would use it. Mm-hmm. And so between that and the, and the and the phasers or disruptors or whatever they were shooting, you know, just a, a, a great, a great action sequence. And we got to see just how desperate these particular Romulans, whether they're the same ones we saw later on or a different group, we saw how desperate they are to get their hands on these androids. And moreover, not just to get their hands on there. That, that's what... This is part of what makes me think that it's a different group of Romulans mm-hmm. or different, you know, they have a different agenda, I think, because I feel like the Romulans we saw at the end want to control this and they want to possess and control this android and maybe not necessarily by force. Maybe they want to win it over by ideology and, and turn it to their side, mm. whereas the Romulans we saw in the beginning with Dodge, they just wanted to capture or destroy it was one, a dead or alive situation. They were so willing to destroy her rather than let her go that the one guy was, you know, literally bit an acid capsule and spit it on her just to kill her in, you know, obviously also killing himself. So the fact that he was willing to do that to destroy her, it tells me something about that group. Mm-hmm. That they just wanted to get this Android off the, table whether or not you know if they could get it and capture it great but if not then they needed to destroy it whereas i feel like the ones we saw at the end talking to dr uh Anish or whatever, what, what what's her name soji soji, soji. <laughs> but yeah that that's what makes me think that we're t- looking at different groups of people i'm leaning more towards what you're what you're going with now that now that we're talking about it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and like I said, we'll we'll see where they go with the story because who knows? Lots of great 
TNG throwbacks, especially in Picard's archive room. And I thought mm-hmm. that that was a great way for them to give us those throwbacks yeah. without shoehorning them in to random places where they didn't necessarily belong. You know, right. like we could have seen, you know, he could have stepped out of his room and had that Picard Day banner hanging over the entrance to his bathroom or, you know, something <laughs> like, stupid like that. But instead, we see all of these things together in a place where yeah. it makes sense to have all of these things together. So I thought it was cool because for people who haven't seen it, it's kind of just a, okay, it's just a room full of old Star Trek stuff, you know, whatever. For people who have seen it, like us, we're like, oh, there's the Stargazer. Oh, there's the Captain John. Oh, look, it's Worf Fatleth. Oh, God, look, Shakespeare's right there. You know, like, we're all freaking out about everything we can see in the thing. And the Picard Day banner was definitely the the tops of that. But it felt like it belonged. And uh, on that point, I actually really liked the technology they showed. I know, uh, Aaron, this is this is something you weren't particularly fond of, but uh-huh. the idea that all this stuff is in stasis, like it's right. in a, they call it a quantum storage. So it's literally like completely sealed. It's not just in a box or even just in a, you know, they're not just putting it in a Tupperware and like make sure to burp that Tupperware and keep all the air out. No, this is in stasis. Oh, so it's- although that, that thing did have an atmosphere readout when he opened it. So you, you joke about the Tupperware thing, but there was for that painting, it was like oxygen, argon. Well, yeah, because yeah. with uh, like um, if you talk to anybody who deals in like rare books or something like that. Oh, yeah. You can't store them in complete vacuum. And right. You can't store them in normal temperature. There's very specific temperatures and, you know, uh, pressures and humidity levels that you have to keep things at to keep them the best. And they would, of course, know. Okay, well, oil on canvas, here's the absolute best temperature, oxygen mixture, argon mixture, whatever to keep this at. And they have this nice, compact little thing to keep that item at that exact setting. And, it was and then they beam it in. So I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. I actually really liked that because I thought it was a cool way to show that they're able to store these things in a way that will keep them preserved. For literally eternity, as long as this, mm-hmm. these conditions stay, you're not going to have an issue of cracked paintings or, you know, stuff drying out or getting moisture damaged or, you know, anything like that. These things are kept exactly the way they need to be kept. I was thinking that he must really love that captain's yacht to have like a big old model of it. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. really loved that ship. Been in it like one time, but evidently, maybe he tooled around in that thing all the time after Nemesis. We just never saw that. So, <laughs> now when you were talking about the Picard Day banner, um, mm-hmm. like above his bathroom, all of a sudden I'm thinking Star Trek, <laughs> the Star Trek shop will have a Picard Day <laughs> shower curtain. I oh god, so buy that. <laughs> god. Yeah. I was thinking bath mat, but then you said shower curtain. I was like, oh, that's even better. Yeah. I, well, I would buy a Picard Day towel. I, I don't know. How about you, Jean-Luc? <laughs> oh, I would buy that. I would buy that doll. Yeah. In a heartbeat. As we talked about, it's awesome to hear that Maddox is involved. Uh, I mean, obviously, I hated his character in Measure of a Man, but we were supposed to hate his character. If we liked Data, right. we had to hate Maddox. That was pretty much the trade-off because... Maddox didn't appreciate what data was. And we of course do as Star Trek fans. So 
you know, we have to hate Maddox, except at the very, very end when he has that glimmer of, of hope and, you know, the Admiral's like, you didn't call it it. It's like, oh, oh my gosh, he's, he's coming around. Well, you know, okay, whatever. You, you throw him one pronoun at the end of the episode and we're supposed to love you, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of him being involved in this makes so much sense. Yeah. Because we already know that he is a guy who has spent his entire life trying to replicate Soon's work. And this is 30 years ago. And now we come to a point where we find out that cybernetics is basically banned. This guy's not going to just give up his life works and be like, oh, well, yeah, I guess I'll try botany or something. He'll be like <laughs> soon and go off to exactly. some Exactly. Exactly. That's why, like, he yeah. he disappeared, as, uh, as as Eric Berry said, because he's probably off somewhere on his own uh, doing this. And it's very possible. You had, you had postulated that these uh, androids are creations of Maddox and... While we don't have confirmation of that yet, I definitely think that's a strong theory because, you know, they bring him up. I don't think that was a throwaway line. You know, whether or not we actually see him or not still remains to be seen, but I don't think that was a throwaway line to bring up Maddox in that context. Mm -hmm. So I think he is off somewhere in secret, continuing his work. And if that includes creating these particular androids or if somebody else maybe took his work and continued it beyond that. That, that that's, that's definitely a possibility. So I really love that they brought him into it in some way, shape, or form. I also thought it was a super bold choice to kill off Dodge in the first episode. <laughs> I was I did not see that coming. I, I will be honest with you. That was yeah. a big shock to me. I was like, but she, I thought she was supposed to. I saw like all these pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, they, they did kind of negate that a little bit by having her, oh, well, she's a twin. There's not, oh, okay, so I guess the actress is still getting some work. It's, it's okay. But at the same time, in that moment, especially the first time watching it, it did shock me. It did surprise me. And that's good on them because it's so hard in this day and age with the internet and everybody talking and dissecting every little thing and leaking stuff. It is so hard to keep a plot device secret until the release. And the fact that they were able to, at least for me, because I didn't know that that was going to happen. And when it did, I was like, for real? Like, whoa. Yeah, it wasn't like when they tried doing the ash invoke where we no. it was clear what was happening yeah the the one thing about that is i think you know going back and rewatching discovery season one if it were if it weren't for the internet and being able to dissect every episode immediately after it airs for a week before another episode comes with literally everyone else on the planet who's watched the episode I don't think we would have necessarily seen that twist coming as early as we did because it was one of those theories that was kind of floated out there and then it would have kind of been dismissed if it wasn't for, you know, millions of people literally being able to latch onto it and talk about it together. Yeah. You know, back in the old days when, you know, all you got to talk about these shows with was your close group of friends right there. Right. That might not, that, that might've been a little bit more of a secret by the time it was revealed. Uh, whereas in this day and age, you know, the second the show airs, we've got 
20 different message boards lighting up with everybody's theories. And, uh, you know, you throw enough crap against the wall, some of it's going to stick. So I think that's kind of where they lost some of the traction. But I do still think that that ended up being an effective plot device, even if it wasn't necessarily a surprise to us because we had already theorized that. But this plot device was definitely a surprise to me, at least. I I was shocked by that. I was like, did they? And I, I literally, I was like mouth agape, staring at the screen for a good minute of show after that. Like, are they going to bring it back? Yeah. Like, what happened? Yeah, Teresa and I, because that was like their commercial break, because it exploded, and it was like, boom. And, yeah. I mean, Teresa and I were like, mouths open, like, what the f- because we saw we saw her on the red carpet like of the premiere and this and that and and we're so excited because she's like half Filipino and we're like oh my god this is great and then to be like she dead Jim I'm like what <laughs> and so yeah it was it was a great fake out but yeah once they started talking about twins I was like oh okay but. I still hated that she died because she made this connection with Picard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this, this other, this other twin is a completely different entity. So we don't know how she's going to interact with Picard yet. And we, we saw the way that Dodge and Picard interacted and it was so fantastic. And I have this weird feeling and it'll kind of turn, go into our um, theories here at the end that this other Android is going to be quite a bit different than Dodge was. So uh, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. All right. The final thing on my actual list here is uh, the music. Mm-hmm. In general, the music was, was absolutely fantastic. I love mm-hmm. the opening sequence music, especially I even loved it more after learning more about the composition of it through the ready room. Um, like I just liked it when it played. I did pick up on some of the the imagery of the opening sequence as they were you know like i saw like the the broken glass i was like okay this is this is showing picard being broken and then at the end they put the piece the same shape piece back into his face i'm like okay this is this is the story of picard being put together again but there was so much in between that i had missed completely i did catch the the piccolo that was very similar to the the sound of the rice can flute even though it wasn't the same melody, which I'm kind of glad for. While I do love the tie-in to Inner Light, it would have been a little bit too kind of heavy-handed, I think, to mm. actually have the melody from the Inner Light play in the intro to Picard. Yeah, just to have the instrument is is enough. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I wouldn't mind if we see... Like, I noticed one of the things that we didn't see in his archive room was that flute. I have a feeling that we're going to see that that is something that he actually does keep in his home. Along with the Mintakin tapestry, the thing that he always had on the back of his chair. I need to see that at some point in this show to know that he still has it. Was the, I'll have to go back and rewatch it to verify this for myself. It wasn't in Nemesis. The knife that was above the Batleth in the the room yeah was, was that the knife from darmok or was <gasps> that just a wow. uh, i don't know bag? oh i don't i don't know i'm gonna have to go back and look because i remember like just thinking about it for a second and i didn't know if it was if it was that knife or was if it was just a klingon dagger to go with the battle because i feel like that would be something that he would keep in his home 
as well, unless Starfleet required him to, you know, unless it was something that because he obtained it in duty, you know, maybe he wasn't allowed to to keep it at home. I don't know. I'll have to go back and double check that. But yeah, when I saw that dagger there, I was like so brief and I, I couldn't really tell if it was that same knife or if it was just a, yeah. a Klingon dagger because, they, you know, they were very similar. A lot of the knives they used as props in Next Gen were, were very similar. I'm coming up to that scene right now. All right. All right. You let me know. Uh, um, oh. Well, wait, wait a minute. Oh, no, it's it's a Klingon knife. Okay. Okay. That's That makes me happy, though, because, like I said, I feel like that dagger from Darmok would be something that he would keep in his home. Like yeah. That might be something he, maybe he has in a, in a library or study or den or something like that where he's got some memorabilia. I feel like that's something that he would want to keep with him, not just stored away. So... Uh, we'll see if that makes an appearance. I would love to see it at some point. That'd be great. But speaking of the music, the final thing that I kind of, it, it was it was just one of those things that as it was playing, I was like, huh, this music makes me think of something. What does it make me think of? And I couldn't place it 100% until after I watched The Ready Room and they pointed out that the music at the very end of the episode when they're showing the Romulan reclamation site is actually this Borg cube, but the music is a remastering or a reworking of the music from the original TOS episode, Balance of Terror, where the Romulan race was introduced to the Trek universe. So that was just really, really cool for them to do that. And that's a really, really deep cut, I think, for them to, to take that, TOS episode where we first meet the Romulans and kind of move that music, just a little hint of that music into and, the end of this episode where we see the Romulans. So I, I thought that was, that was awesome. Yeah. That was fantastic. I agree. Some updating of, of some classics, which we've seen um, in the short tracks as well. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of you know, the very opening music, not the opening title sequence music, but the fact that they played blue skies as the opening music uh. in the dream sequence, another hint, for us that it was a dream but also just right off the bat hitting you with the feels if you know the story beforehand like literally the second that started i was already like oh and i was like i was on board i, I was pumped and ready to go just from that first few notes yeah and then they had r&b playing when they showed the greater boston skyline so uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so uh, next up, I, I have a list of things that aren't dislikes, but didn't fit into my likes. Mm-hmm. So we have a Zahian. And now I don't hate this, but it's an obvious attempt to link back to Discovery. And I, I don't hate it. Yeah. Obviously, the species exists in the Star Trek timeline. And every now and then, there's going to be one that's going to pop up. It took me a minute. It, like, until I saw that Easter egg thing, I was like, I was like, Zahian, why is that so familiar? And I I, I had forgotten. And then they're like, yeah. oh, the Zahian from the short trip. I was like, oh, right, 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 right. I, I caught it when, it when I first watched it. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And like you, I didn't hate it. I didn't really think it was, I don't know, it was just one of those things that I like the fact that they're using established aliens in both from from everything like they pulled i'm pretty sure in this one episode we saw at least one alien species from every series 
except maybe Discovery. I don't know if we saw any Delta Quadrant aliens in this uh, particular mean Voyager episode. Because we uh, saw yeah, one from Voyager, Discovery. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but. But we'll have seven of nine. Yep. See, so they're gonna make that connection. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna get there. But yeah, we saw we we saw Tellarite. We saw Trill. We saw Romulans, obviously. Um, now we've, we've seen the Zahian. Uh, oh, so apparently I like the they're using what they've got. Sorry, apparently the makeup artist was Bajoran. She had the right. nose thing. Yeah, yeah. I gotta look even more closely. I gotta watch this like a third and fourth time. Yeah, just on repeat. I'm, I'm gonna watch it again tomorrow. I'm sure. If not tonight, it depends. I, I have to work tomorrow, so I'll probably watch it on break tomorrow. I, I get what you're saying as far as, uh, yeah, it's kind of a shoehorned link back to Discovery, but at the same time, they also did it with other aliens from other treks, so I think they're just trying to establish that we're all in the same universe, and so they're trying to, that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. Yep. Instead of just making up new aliens for no reason. I mean, when, you're, when you've mm-hmm. got a character who you're literally going to kill in five minutes, why make an entirely new species for him? Right. You've got plenty of perfectly good species to, to choose from. Indeed. Next, why is Dodge programmed to find Picard? Who knows, right? I, well, I sort of... Unless Maddox. Well, uh, here's the thing. I don't think she was programmed to find Picard. I think that she had flashes of memory within her that included Picard. And when she saw him on TV, it just, it was just good timing that he happened to be on TV or being broadcast on that interview because that like triggered. She's like, I see this face and something inside me tells me that this face is trustworthy. This is a person who can help. And I think that's due to the fact that we learn later on that she might have some of data in her somehow. Yeah. Whether you know, mm-hmm. so I think it's not a matter of necessarily she was programmed to find Picard. I think she made the choice to find well, Picard based on just the latent sense of trust. She had no one else to turn to that she could fully trust, but she had some sort of sense that she could trust him. So she sought him out. Right. So, but she had a flash of Picard before she saw the interview. That's true. And he was wearing his, uh, that, an interesting tie with that fancy knot uh, that he was wearing in the interview, but that was like before the interview. Next here, I think Dodge's mom is a hologram. The only reason why I'm thinking this, uh, there was a subtle glitch in the projector when she's trying to come up with the reason why she knew Dodge went to find Picard. I thought someone hacked the feed to, like, trick her. Like, someone's guiding her. Yeah, I've got a kind of combination of the two of you. I I don't think that Dodge's mom, that she knows as her mom, is a hologram or a a fake. Right. I believe it's a surrogate. You know, obviously she Mm. adopted or whatever. I think the mom that she talked to on that transmission was definitely fake. And like you said, either a not necessarily a hologram, but maybe just a holographic transmission of somebody else controlling it, somebody else speaking those words who knew what she had been up to. So I think it's kind of a combination of what you guys are thinking. But yeah, definitely whoever she was speaking to, I don't think that was actually who she knew as her mom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, we'll find out 
I'm sure. Gerardi suggests that any new android would need to be created out of Data's neural net, uh, which is now lost. Were the rogue synths created from Data's, in quotes, neural net, or from some other method? These must be androids that were less sophisticated than Data, Mm -hmm. right? No, I just think that, you know, she said that they create an army of them. I think think this is just Maddox's work, and Mm -hmm. I don't think they have Data's signature. It's just whatever version that Maddox got close to. I see. So I don't think they're going to be as emotional or as advanced positronically as I think this was his first attempt before he was able to create, you know, Dodge and, and Soji. And I think he was only able to do that or make that advancement because data died. And so before had at least some kind of neuron. So I think he was able to create them from Data's neurons that were in B4, before B4 failed. You know what I mean? Okay, that's an interesting theory. So I th- I think whatever these synths that attacked Mars, I think those were his, like, well, this is the best I can do. And they were yeah. probably created to help with that massive fleet building Mm. to save the Romulans. So I think they were created as a temporary workforce, but then something happened and then we got the attack. Yeah. I, I I kind of agree with that. I, I noticed that it seemed to me when I was hearing what she was saying was that they never successfully created another sentient Android. Right. In order to do so, it would have to have been created from data's neural net. And that's what she was saying. Oh, so they're like automatons. Yeah, they're just like basic yeah. robots, essentially. I see. It, Which okay. is why everybody couldn't figure out, like, okay. why did they go rogue? Because they weren't sentient. They shouldn't have been able to. And But somehow they did. So Well, either they got hacked or they gained sentience. Maybe he was successful. And then that's why he disappeared. It was like, oh, shit, this is all my fault. And finally, uh, let's, let's move along. I hope... It is explained why they need to be built in pairs. Quantum something, something quantum. If you just throw quantum in front of something. <laughs> it's it's the future. But uh, do you guys have anything else that doesn't quite fit? Or do you want to move on to dislikes? I mean, I, the only thing I'm perplexed about, and obviously it's going to be a major story point, so we'll have it answered. But I'm like, where the heck did this Borg thing come from did Mm -hmm. the how did the romulans take control of it i it's pretty clear that this is like a strip mining operation for them because of how they've like carved it out there's workstations but i don't know did you guys notice like the the updated alcoves in the background when they're doing that Mm. pullout shot i i was so excited i was so excited makes me think like are they are they trying to rebuild this like because you also notice like that entryway, the like the shuttle bay when they go in, it's got the Romulan emblem across the top of it. Yeah. So they've obviously built that part on, or at least update. You know, they put their logo on it at least. <laughs> so I, they're doing some work on this thing, and like, so why? why? What? What are they up to in that cube? Like, this isn't just 
a, like a place where they're like, oh, we found this thing floating in space, and now we're going to live it. Like, <laughs> they're they're doing something to this thing, and I want to know what. Well, I mean, having a workforce built out of Borg would probably be better than Remans, which could revolt against you. <laughs> True, but I don't want my like workers to assimilate me. Good lord. Well, you, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But I wouldn't put it past Romulans to think they could reprogram Borg to be slaves either. If they thought they could yeah. act as the queen and get them to do their bidding. Mr. Dewey, do you have anything that doesn't quite fit? I, I don't think so. I think, okay. like I said, I've got, obviously there's still some questions, but nothing that I don't think isn't going to be answered. I think we're going to get the answers to most of our questions. I do have one thing that uh, kind of ties into what you said, but it's it's my only dislike, so I'm going to save it for that segment. Okay. So, for my only dislike, now, the fact that this box exists isn't my dislike. So, it's the CGI lockbox around the painting is my dislike. Mm. Now, the lockbox itself is not my dislike. It's the CGI rolling away of the lockbox if it like just like opened like a box <laughs> yeah i would been okay with it but it's like this i mentioned before this pointless use of cgi yes yes that we we don't need i mean what we could have used that money on, you know, some more some more Borgs tech. or something. <laughs> oh, some more Borg, something, something necessary. I don't know. This was unnecessary, and um, it's yeah, a box. <laughs> it's a box. I mean, I mean, it was cool, but do we need a box that like transforms into a smaller box? Yes, off to the side. Obviously, God, get with the times, yeah. man. <laughs> I guess so. I always need boxes all the time from the future. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that's my only dislike. I was kind of pulling at for something. And, and that's the only thing that I could find that I, I really disliked. The only thing I disliked, and it, it was just the slight part of the uh, last part of the episode. Like, was it really necessary to have that Narek guy be introduced like right now can't we just do a shot of of like oh no it's this other person that looks like dodge and then have that be the mystery it was just such an awkward like hey i'm Narek and new here oh hey i'm so and so and i had a sister and blah 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 and it was just like okay exposition dump like that's not natural mm. so I think it would have been better if, like, maybe Narek was introduced in the next episode, like, right at the beginning, like, meeting her. But just to have that tease of, like, wait, who is she? And then that would have been, like, who is she and why Borg? Like, that would have been, now we're just like, eh, why Borg? But it would have been a double impact, like, wait, there's Romulans, she's part of it, what? Huh? And then, yeah. I can see what you're saying, but at the same time, I think that would have left people too questioning. Like, all of a sudden, they just see her there again, and they're like, oh, wait, is this the same person? Is this, you know, 
I think it might have sent the wrong message. What I really liked about that part was the fact that she talked about having a sister, whereas Dodge never said anything about having a sister. So I think these two androids, even though they are were created as twins and are essentially quote unquote sisters, I don't think this new one's sister that she has memory of is Dodge. I think she. these are entirely different created memories that she has because Dodge never said anything about having a sister. Two sets of twins, four sisters, quadruplets. It could be. It, it could absolutely be. But yeah, that's, that's what threw me. And I was looking at it going like, oh, wait a minute. Like, so she thinks she has a sister, but we know that she's an android. So these are implanted memories. But Dodge never said anything about having, like, she didn't grow up with Dodge, even have these memories implanted of growing up with Dodge, like, I think it's going to be interesting to find out at what point their lives actually started, how much of their history that they remember actually happened and how much are implanted memories. Mm-hmm. Like that's going to be, I think something interesting to come up. Um, I think the most important part of that scene though, was our introduction to that Romulan and to get a sense of distrust of him. Right. From oh, the yeah. show. Because I think if you just introduce him, as just like some guy who happens to be around, like, yeah. yeah, you don't. He's just, he's just a guy who's there, and then you're wondering, hey, why are they on this board cube? Whereas the way they did it, you know, they see him kind of. We we see him trying to weasel his way in to her life and trying to get information, like trying to to connect with her. And you're like, hmm, I don't know if I like. I just got a sense of unease from this guy that I'm like, I don't trust this guy one little sure. bit. And I think it was necessary to introduce us to him in order to get that. And without that, it would have been even a shorter episode. And so, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I, I kind of disagree. I, I liked that scene of them. So I was okay with it. All right. That, I mean, that's all I had. I, I really liked this episode. There's very little to find wrong with, with any of this. I, I completely agree. That's why the, the only thing on my dislike list is something uh, Aaron already brought up. I think that the reason for the androids being made in pairs as twins, while it was a great plot device to bring the actress of Dodge back, it almost seemed just in this episode as kind of a, a throwaway reason to, to have this shock killing of Dodge that we weren't expecting. Like, yeah, it was impactful, but at the same time, then when they bring this other, oh, they have to be created in pairs. I'm like, do they? And mm. I'm, I'm really hoping that it'll be explained better in later episodes as to why they are created in pairs so that we, that it doesn't end up feeling like just a cheap device to, to get us to, to feel mm-hmm. something for this dead person. Um, but really that's my only complaint. And again, that's something that most likely is going to be fleshed out in future episodes. But just as of right this second, I'm like, but why? So this is just something that I just thought of randomly. It might be nothing. But with LOL, there was a cascade failure in the positronic neural net. Right. What if when you have two uh, Android hosts, you can use one as like a buffer for the network, like you connect them together somehow. Uh, they act as a buffer so that in the initial formative stages, 
uh, they don't overload. Well, that's what it says. Like, so they already have a memory alpha, a, a, oh. a mention of the fractal neutronic or neuronic cloning, and it's a hypothetical okay. technique for creating an android with a stable positronic matrix. And it's just because of that issue, because mm -hmm. relying on the prior existence of a neural network from an existing Android, this technique posited that the complete code for a new Android, uh, wait, a twin of Androids, yada, yada. But I think, I think you're on the right track. Like, I think mm -hmm. that Maddox knew because data shared everything with him. They were pen pals. And right. so I think the creation of law and the failure, like data would send all of that research. And so I think Maddox was like, okay, here's a new problem. If I do create a new positronic matrix like data did, I have to f now find a way to overcome that with this cascade failure. Mm. So I think he may have solved it with this thing. Like, you know, Dr. Girardi may think it's hypothetical, but maybe after everything went down, Maddox actually put it into motion once he left. Yeah. Right. That that definitely makes sense. I mean, that, that was one, I guess, one other small complaint that I had in this episode is that all this talk about data and androids and daughter. Having a daughter, yeah. And lol was never mentioned. I, I yeah. feel like that should have been at least thrown out there. Like, I do know that, you know, Picard did say at one point Data always wanted a daughter, mm -hmm. but he did mention that he, in fact, did for about a day and a half there. <laughs> yeah. And at, in that episode, Lal chose her gender. Uh, so I don't think it really mattered to Data what, what gender his uh, offspring would be after lol happened and especially after he got his emotion ship and mm. i can imagine okay. the combination of the emotion emotion ship and the memory of lol would make him want a daughter from that point forward i yeah yeah i agree so rankings i give this three pips commander only because i expect it to get much better from here and I don't want to go above the ranking parameters like some people tend to do. Not naming names. <laughs> How about you guys? Okay. I, I mean, I gave this a captain. I'm just ranking this as not against other episodes, future or otherwise. I just think mm -hmm. my initial reaction, my knee jerk was like, there was barely anything wrong with this episode. It hit on all the right points. So I'm like, mm -hmm. if this is a really good, perfect episode, it deserves a captain. So yeah, sure. The other episodes may be better. Well, they may be their own captains. Very true. Well, what if the whole series is a captain? Then let's not go crazy. <laughs> President of the Federations. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows where we can go from here? I also gave it four full pips. I gave it a captain. I figured it was only fitting as being the uh, series premiere of Picard that it get the captain rating, even though he's technically a retired admiral in this series. I still think of him as my captain. And, and they even mentioned, like, 
uh, when he's going into that interview, uh, you know, he, the, the guy says to him, he says, be the captain that they remember. Like, that's, you're much like Kirk. He always said, like, don't let them promote you. Don't let them do anything. Stay a captain. Don't ever go higher than a captain because that's the best. I, I, I gave this one a captain, full four pips. I really, really enjoyed this episode, and I had to really pick at nets to find anything wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we all of us uh, liked it a lot, and I really hope, if you're listening, you did too. So after seeing this episode, uh, what do we think will happen in the series? Now I have two speculations here. Uh, one... Maddox used Lore's neural net to make the twins, and the rogue sense are controlled by Lore. I think, um, I, I don't know if I agree with that 100%, but I do think you're onto something there, in that we had Data and Lore that were essentially twins, and now we're dealing with androids that are twins, and... We don't know where Lore ended up after Data deactivated him after the events of uh, Descent. Yeah, you you would think he would be Descent. Yes, you would think Um, he would be at the Daystrom Institute. But Descent had Borg in it. Bum bum bum. It did. Borg, Um, who were with Hugh. Yes, Mm -hmm. who we know is going to be in the series, but isn't yet. So very interesting looking forward to that yeah it's i'm wondering if that is going to be the tie-in to bring uh hugh and eventually seven of nine into this mix is some kind of connection with lore i don't think that you can talk about data and sentient androids and then since going rogue without somehow bringing lore into the picture somehow you know Mm -hmm. so whether or not they just mention him as like a here's here's a thing that can happen and it appears that you know maybe data was the outlier data was the only time that a sentient android was ever good was this one time every other time they end up bad or whatever the idea that we're dealing with the the biggest thing for me is that we're dealing with this this idea that androids have to be created in pairs and data and lore were kind of created in pairs yeah what they weren't created at the exact same time, but they were still essentially twins very much. So I, I can definitely see that coming into play here. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we're going to see lore actually in control of anything. I think it's going to be more of the, the essence of lore. If Maddox did end up using neurons from lore's positron net, that could be why these synths ended up going rogue and causing destruction because they had lore in them. And maybe he realized that and only used Data's neurons for, or B4's neurons, because Data's neurons, they, they don't have any of them. He blew up on the, uh, the scimitar or whatever. So they don't, they don't have... <laughs> They don't have bits of data to go back to. They only have B4. So it's it's interesting. Um, I definitely think we're going to at least hear about Lore if we don't see anything about it. We're definitely going to at least hear about him. I want to see Brent Spiner reprise his role as Lore. Oh, man. 
That's why I want. That's why I want to see. It would be interesting, even if it's just in a dream sequence or something like that. I would still, yes, I would be down with it because I, I loved the character of Laura as bad as he was. I mean, obviously he was a bad guy, but he was a great bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to see more of Brett Spiner. And he said that he doesn't want to come back as Data. He's only in these dream sequences as Data. So having lore is just a nice we, little we, you know, way to get We didn't see him die. No, they, they, said they disassembled him. Yep. Disassembled, yeah. so, and he should be at the Daystrom Institute, probably right beside B four. So, what if that's not B four in the drawer? That's far. What a twist! A twist. <laughs> <laughs> that would only come into play if they decide to like try to put him back together and just then mislabeled. They, then they find out that oh crap, we just reassembled lore instead of B four. Crap, we're all dead. But yeah. The, do you guys have any um, any ideas or thoughts of what will happen in the series? I'm just along for the ride at this point. I don't want to make any <laughs> yeah. speculations because mm-hmm. I, I know there was a, a Bill from, from Trek Geeks. He saw the three episodes at the premiere and he even said, mm-hmm. whatever you think is going to happen, it's like get ready to be blown away because it's not even what you are even suspecting it is. So Mm. I really just want to see the next two episodes for this first arc before I start making like discovery, like predictions like we did uh, the past (laughs) two years. So I feel you. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I'm like I said, what you've already pointed out, I, I think we can work with that in theory what we've talked about already on this episode, mm-hmm. different theories that we'll see. Um, yeah, but I am looking forward to finding out. I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board for this ride. I, I want to find out where these writers are going with this. Cause as, as much as I can make up off the top of my head, these writers are doing 10 times a better job and I, I'm here for it. I, I want to know what, what they had in mind. I can make up my own fan theories after the fact all, all day long, but, Mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see what, what they actually did. Yeah, definitely, as am I. Guys, it's been a blast talking Picard. Uh, so good. The next episode following this one will be a review of episodes two and three. So it'll be a few weeks. So until then, enjoy the ride, live long and prosper, and uh, we will see you guys later. Engage. You gotta do that. Thank you for listening to the Starfleet Escape podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfxscapepod.com, on Twitter and Instagram at sfxscapepod, and on facebook.com slash sfxscapepod.